He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere before a bridge keeper now about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 88 of a Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. As usual, I'm James Richardson and I'm joined this week by Will. Hey, Will. Hi, James. Barry, how are you? Um, I'm... Will has just given it away. We're also joined this week by Barry. Hey, Barry. Spoiler alert. Barry's here. Sorry. Hey, guys. Runer. Uh, thanks for listening. If anybody wants to get in contact with us, we're on Twitter at PodcastGTS, and our email is a goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to keep our games this week very super brief. Uh, Will, do you have anything of interest over the weekend? I played on Saturday only, um, and, you know, it's as, as you said, super brief. We're playing off the white course now. It was everything was placing. Um, I went around in one under gross for the twelve holes, so Very I had twenty nine points. So I was quite happy with it. Like it could have been a lot better, uh, yeah. realistically. Like I should have been four under. Yeah, it was. It was there to be had a bit. On, yeah, it, was, it was, on, could be taken apart. Like you know, um, we're also having unseasonally warm weather, which was seventeen degrees on Saturday, and uh, it was a bit sweaty. <laughs> I ended up having to shed half the layers. Of, like, oh, I was wearing a t-shirt half and start to finish. Yeah, well, I, I started with the underarm with the t-shirt and a jumper, and the jumper was gone by the first tee box, and the underarmor was gone by the fourth tee box. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barry, how did you you uh, you struggled a bit on Saturday? Play better on Sunday. Yeah. Were you happy even if the the score didn't reflect it? There was a, there was enough there were enough good shots there hit over the course of the two days to keep me happy. The uh, I can understand why you might not have shot like the four under. Any putts over even like five or six foot, the ball was wandering towards the hole like a drunken motorcyclist. It was just going all over the place, really? you know, left to right. Did you not notice that? No. He's been using that analogy since walking off the course on Saturday. Anybody he now, looked into, was, he said the exact same thing. I actually, he, I, I would have turned around and said that I thought the ball was rolling particularly well. Well, that's because you shot one under, I'm sure. No, but I mean, yeah. it, like, just I was closer to the pin, yeah, so, No, man. but like, there was a few putts, like, that I had where they were 20 footers and they yeah. were tracking really, really well. The one thing I did notice was that they broke ever so slightly on the hole because the holes weren't cut. So there was there was never going to fall in, if you know what I mean. It was like the cut, the holes were up, yeah. which meant that if they weren't traveling at enough pace, they were going to break out. That's what I found because I had a couple of putts that were on line to go into the hole, and they just went. Yeah, I'm going to go with that excuse is why I didn't put so. Uh, the one thing I found, <laughs> Mine were close yeah. hold up. the one thing I found about putting at the weekend was just the slowness of the greens. I found them, you know, I just still am somewhere around mid June, where we don't have to hit them that hard. And I just found both days, you know, it was at least three foot short quite often. And I couldn't quite bring myself to, especially I think on the one of the holes I was putting up and over one of the hills. And I was like, well, if I get it over the hill and it goes down the other side, it's going to get there. And then, of course, before I knew it, I hit it over the hill, hit it to where I was, and I just died like three foot short at the, yeah. the hole. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I got I got the pace of the long ones quite well, but I just didn't hold Nick. Obviously, you're not going to hold that many long putts. Uh, it was really, it took it took a lot of holes of play to convince myself I need to actually swing this thing, the putter, quite aggressively at it to get the ball going. Two things I suppose we should mention. One is your dad, who had a very impressive level par, uh, the gross net, yeah. gross, gross, uh, gross. Which was super birdie on the twelfth to uh, to to play to level par, which so that's nine nine better than his twelve hole handicap. So, yeah, uh, so thirty three points. Yeah, it's the ridiculous thing to come out and know that someone had done that before I even started. <laughs> yeah. You're like you're going. Well, I I had to go. I worked. I think I had to go five under par in order to have a chance. It, it was super shooting. He did nothing. Yeah. He did nothing spectacular, but it may, he just kept plodding away. He was, yeah. was short of the green. He got up and down. It was just. It was. It was actually very enjoyable and to watch. He missed a couple of gettable putts as well. So I mean, look, that's there's always always shots left out there. It was, it was really good shooting. But as I said, we are playing. Now this is no offense to anyone, but like what you'll find now coming into the winter is that people who would be necessarily the shorter hitters and whatnot, they're now getting up to the areas where they're going to be left with wedges, seven, you know, oh, yeah. seven and below in their hands, and that's where they're normally quite good playing off a of, let's say a twelve or thirteen handicap. That they're better that way. It's when they 
when they're not as big off the tee, mm-hmm. they're looking at having long irons or rescue clubs to second shots, whereas now they've got the seven irons in, yeah. which means that these are the guys that are going to be... Now, with the domestic cuts and all that kind of stuff, it's going to it's gonna help even out the field. So, like, your dad now is all of a sudden next week playing off seven. Sure, yeah, so... For his, like, for his 12 holes. Well, I'm sure a lot of clubs experience this, you know, when you go to the shorter tees in the winter because the ball's not rolling as far. There's... The course is considerably shortened when we do that on our, our place. So you, I think we lose the guts of 400, 450 yards off the length of the course, which mm. is substantial. So uh, the scores will, will usually go up. Now, if the weather kicks in and the wind gets up, then that, that changes, you know. Oh, yeah. Right uh, now, one thing I'm looking forward to is, and for all the listeners out there, Barry uh, has decided to take on the mantle of our winter league in the club and has kind of brought on a new tack to it and a different dimension to it. So it'll, like... You know, I really think that we're going to have a bit of a, a bustle between the three of us now for the Winter League. I assume um, we're not on the same team. Uh, I don't know. You'd have to get the list of entrants and every, every like it's all mathematical by handicaps. There's no yeah. selection process and in the, the team. Top. It's all so it's, the best, the second best, the third best, the fourth so best, fifth best, sixth, it, seventh. It's all seeded. It's a pure match, equal yeah. distribution across the team. So there's no people going, oh, that team was drawn unfairly. But I think individually we'll have a little bit of a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. skate battle, you know, and absolutely. Uh, Bragging rights and whatnot. So Barry, fair play to you for taking on that mantle, and I look yeah. forward to seeing how it goes. It should yeah. be fun. If I don't get all the information and the team by tomorrow, will we start sending emails we'll and complaints? We were to told that if we had any questions or complaints, that we were to directly email, email. To Barry yeah. and given his email address. Which, so, which is a mistake, and it isn't a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. uh, tweet us in and we'll private message it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking about tweet, tweeting, tweeting and the email. Uh, Feedback Barry, uh, we got a little bit of interaction as we always do, and the but something sprung to your attention that you wanted to mention. Yeah, um, John Caulfield's touch base, he does quite a bit actually, and thanks very much for that, John. Always good to hear from you. He was saying that if you can play to your handicap comfortably, you're a bandit, and uh, he thinks that a handicap is a reflection of your best day and not your average. Uh, thoughts on that, guys? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with them uh, because obviously you're going to get cut. You know, on the good day, you'll get cut down to that, and then you know you have a tendency to get the point ones back for a while before maybe another good day, or you hit that kind of good bit of form where you see a few cuts, and then all of a sudden, you know, you you kind of struggle. So it is it is a reflection of perhaps your best day, and I suppose or, or your top few percentage of days. Yeah, and I suppose it. You know, we we didn't look at it over the course of the last few weeks, but there are being changes to the Congru handicap system, which is of of interest. I suppose, John, to to your email, which is that if you now get cut and you then get seven consecutive point one back, so in effect get point seven back mm-hmm. in a seven consecutive events, the ha- handicap committee can impose. A, an extra shot going back onto your handicap. So it's, I suppose, where you look at the ESR and it was to reduce people where they're coming down and improving very quickly, that this is actually to say, well, maybe your best day when you went out, you shot the lights out of it, you had a 75 and you've had 44, 45 points, isn't necessarily a true reflection because the weeks before or the weeks after... You're, you're not playing particularly well, you're getting the point once. So it is something that's interesting to look at, mm. that what John is saying is, is, is true. That, And I think the Congru guys are looking at that saying, well, you know, maybe one good day isn't correct. And then you become disheartened when you're not able to play to it. And we've talked well at length mm. um, over the last few weeks and through the season, you and I personally, about my own game. And you keep saying, you know, you want to always take it gradually. You don't necessarily want to drop from 17 down to 12, from 12 to 6, and then just struggle so badly that you're coming in with 15, 20 points and just kind of going, what's happening? I'm now disillusioned. It's better to chip away at it a bit. So what do you think in terms of John's comment that uh, the handicap really is just a reflection of your best day and uh, not perhaps your average? No, I, 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 I'm, I'm very sorry, John, but I actually disagree. Uh Golf is a game, and there's a handicap, you know, included. So to play to your handicap comfortably means that you're not really ever going to be in a position where you're going to be winning competitions. Playing to your handicap comfortably means that you're going to come in with a comfortable 36 points, or you're going to come in, let's say, if you're playing off a 9 or an 18 handicap, you're going to come in with a general... Playing off 18, you're going to come in with, let's say, 90 shots gross. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's just a fair indication of you 
playing with the handicap that you've been, you've been given. Now, if you're comfortably coming in three shots better than your handicap... Your handicap's going to go down. Then your handicap's going to come down. So there's, there's nothing, you know, like... A handicap is a reflection of your best day. Well, my best day that I've ever played, I went around a golf course and 70 shots gross, right? Mm. Which means that by that reference, I should be plus two or plus one. Yeah. You know, that kind of way. But that's not the case. You know, I would love to be in a situation where I'm playing off plus one regularly. Um, I am in a situation now where my handicap is coming all the way down. Um, and I would hope that at some stage I will be able to play comfortably to six handicap. And that is when I know that if I'm playing better than that, I'm a five or a four or a three. But as I said last week to you, James, that although I'm told now that I'm a six handicap, I don't believe it yet, mm. if that makes any sense. So, like, I can go out and I can have great days and I can play, like, three over, two over. Mm-hmm. But then I can go out and have have horrible days. But the average says that I'm a six handicap and therefore... A handicap should mean that on any given day, you might win a prize. You might go out and have 39 points and therefore be have a chance of winning something. But then there's other days you might go out and have 28 points and not even be in the running. I, I think the point, I suppose, is that, you know, if it's the true reflection, like Will says, you should always come in with 36. You'll never win prizes. You'll never get cut. You'll just stay nice and solid at exactly that handicap yeah, and never move on. Of your current playing ability at that time. It may be more true... Insofar as it also maybe is a variable, Barry, and, and what do you think of this part of the ingredient of the discussion, which would be how often you're playing? Because there's guys who aren't playing all that often. They can go out and they can play very well, or they're playing in non-qualifying competitions, nine holes, or they're playing in four balls or better ball competitions. Playing very well, they turn up, they play their handicap event, they get you know a cut, mm-hmm. and then they go and don't play again, and all of a sudden. So there is an element of if you're playing quite often, you know, if you play over 50 rounds a year, you would expect that on average you will play to your handicap and get 36 points or within the buffer more often than not. If you're only playing two or three times a year, the likelihood is you're not going to play to your handicap. And on that basis, you know... You're yeah, you're going to have higher variance because of the less amount of rounds. Well, I also think there's a big difference between being a golfer who's going out to golf and get cut and play the game according to the rules of golf. And there's also someone who goes out to massage their handicap. So as they can come out on those four bowl occasions and where there's a great prize on offer, you know, and win. And then all of a sudden they want to get their shots back. So let's say they've gone out and in a competition they've had 42 points because they won the lovely TV that they saw and they wanted. So all of a sudden they got cut point or two full shots, brought them down to 15 handicap. Then they're like, oh, hang on a second. I'm going to play the next 10 rounds so as I can get the shot back. You know, there are people out there that do that. Oh, no, I, 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 have yeah. played, I have played with people that you can see because there's out of bounds all along the right-hand side of 15, 16, 17 and 18 in our club. And I have seeing people's heads going brilliant up to that point yeah. then they're thinking Jesus next week's the captain's prize or next week's the medal but people joke oh about it. look I just shanked it all the way out of bounds yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. going here hold on Tom Tom you know you but, didn't do that all right you've been absolutely amazing and now all of a sudden in the last three hours mm-hmm. you get no points but realistically right if you were to talk about handicaps handicaps are there for a reason and they're there to weight people. Now, one thing I love more, the, the one thing I love about golf at this stage, yeah, is the fact that, like, my mother uh, plays off 20, 29 or 30 handicap, right? Now, all things being fair and equal, I can go out and play golf with my mother playing off six handicap, and sure, she plays off 30 handicap, and we can come down, and on the 18th hole, it could come down to a putt. Yeah. That's yeah. between a man and a woman, a 65-year-old lady and a 36-year-old man, and we have the most fun ever for two euro. And that's what I love about the game is that it takes away, once you have a fair handicap, mm-hmm. it takes away yeah. all, all other inequalities. It gives perfect competition, or it that's should do. Or between theory. the three of us, yeah. in theory, yeah. although I'm the best golfer by far, and, and so much better looking. And previous presenter of the podcast. <laughs> no, we should be able to go out, whether I, 9 I, hole, 18 hole, or 12 yeah. hole, and it should come down to a putt. Mm-hmm. I should tell the listeners that it looks like Will is drinking a lot of gin down there, or possibly vodka, which is obviously to what's going to his head. I'm trying to infer that I'm drunk. <laughs> Those <laughs> comments you would. Um, that's, it's a very good point. Anybody who has any opinion on that, and thanks, John, for... for, for oh, it's lead, great. Lead, it's leading great to what was only going to be a short discussion yeah, ended yeah. up being a little bit more well, of a debate. We do need to have a little bit more of an in-depth look on the handicap changes that are coming in with the ESOR changes and the, the stuff back. So... That, 
I think we should pencil that in for you know in the coming weeks ahead of next year. I mean, we have a lot of time before um, well, you know the qualifying season kicks yeah. in next year as well. So we, we'll definitely get that. Well, let's it. have a look at some changes that are changing, and uh, the RNA and the USGA announced the rule changes that are commencing on the first of January of this year. I suppose we all know the anchor ban. And mm-hmm. I suppose, in its clear sense, it's the anchor ban of the putter. It really is any club at this stage. They are changing the definition of the swing. You cannot at any stage anchor any club. I suppose it could be argued that you could anchor a three wood for a little, you know, short chip, chip off, the, off green. the green or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So you can't anchor it at all. Any club, regardless, I suppose, as I say, the, the putter is the big example. But there's a few more interesting things, and I suppose, you know, the the one that really um, kind of stood out for me is the that the fact that if they're signing for uh, an incorrect scorecard, it would have up to now and and until the beginning of January is an automatic disqualification for signing in a competition a scorecard that's the wrong where there's a penalty that you should have put down. Yeah, so you're so, signing for the lower score. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so for instance, there should have been a two-stroke penalty, you know, for argument's sake, playing, you know, raking the bunker while still in the bunker or something like that. You didn't realise it, you played it, and all of a sudden you've signed for a lower score. This, I suppose, is really coming in more for probably the pros than the amateurs. This is really where you've got the armchair viewer who's on the, the super high-def TV and sees the ball oscillating a third of an inch the, the the pro has signed the card. They mm-hmm. can't see that, you know. It's it's impossible. And all of a sudden, if they were to go into the the, the cabin and have to look back at every shot to make sure that everything's one hundred percent, it's not possible. So this is to stop the armchair viewer in effect disqualifying Tiger or Rory yeah. or J- Jordan Spieth. By, uh, by and the I arm. think I think this is a really clever rule. I think actually a lot of it has to go. I think a lot of credit has to go to the the rules committee at Augusta and the way they dealt with the whole Wood situation. Um, was it la- last year? Two thousand and thirteen. Was it Jesuit, yeah. the drop? Was the and drop one? Do you remember? It? And they kind of they, they it was kind of against the rules of golf their decision, but they just used their Augusta committee powers and they kind of pushed it through. Now it was Tiger. <laughs> if it had been a different, if it had been a different golfer, a lesser golfer, the Tiger, maybe it wouldn't have actually happened. But I think at the end, it's actually it's what well, they did has come out and actually turned into a really good ruling. Can oh I, yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem with that now. But then now that it's a rule of golf, yeah. Well, can, yeah, because at the time, and I suppose this was this rule is very clearly indicated that it, it looks like you could nearly term it the Tiger Woods Augusta rule. It's, yeah, yeah. This was uh, in 2013 at the Masters. He took a drop in the par five fifteenth hole and later signed for the score lower than his actual score, not realising that he should have had a penalty assessed. At mm-hmm. the time, the USGA completely disagreed with Augusta National and uh, and the handling of the rule, saying that it was just simply wrong. There is no black and white here. He should have been disqualified. Yeah. And they didn't even have the discretion. Now, it would have been interesting to see if he had gone on to win it. What would have actually have stood... Um, or would somebody who came second being pretty pissed off and would there have been challenges? Well, I think one of the bigger it, things in that particular competition is that and what was said about it was the fact that Tiger didn't get a penalty for something that was blatantly a penalty. And then the young amateur guy, uh, remember the young kid yeah. in 16, 17 Guan years Lang. Yeah, whatever yeah. his name was, the first time playing, yeah. and they got, whatever, and he got a penalty for slow play. Yeah. Well, I, I it think was like they picked him out because he was only a young kid. I suppose, just to be very clear on this, if a player knows he should have had a penalty and doesn't sign, he's still disqualified. Mm-hmm. This is a situation, of and, and you could actually argue that Tiger should have known yeah, yeah, that yeah, what yeah. he did was wrong and should have had. This is really going to the finite. It's to stop the guy who's watching it in the it big TV screen. Exactly the mm. oscillation of the ball. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really looking at that ruling rather than necessarily, in my view, the Tiger situation, where, as a professional, yes, there's a thousand million rules, and we've talked at length previously, sure. simplifying these rules down to a much more accessible level. But it's an interesting rule, it's an interesting change. I think it's a great new rule. It's brilliant. Uh, because it, it takes you know, it takes the pressure off the players, because they're not as afraid of their shite, pardon my language, about everything that they do, every single person that's wanting to them yeah. to be disqualified at home. Um, you, you know, there's things that can happen and all of a sudden they're kind of going, you know, it's, it's kind of like they're, they're there playing and they're kind of going, did I get a penalty? Did I not get a penalty? They don't know 
until maybe an hour afterwards. They probably signed their card. And they're gone. And their they head were is gone. gone. No, they were gone as in DQ'd from the tournament. Yeah, first. but they're also, the head is gone because they're going, I don't know whether yeah. I am or I am not The thing is now, so it's not, this is not, this is not exactly a free pass or anything like that. So the penalty is applied as well as a two-stroke penalty for signing the incorrect scorecard. So you could actually three or four shots. Yeah, so <clears throat> at the same time, you're still in the tournament. So it's a hell of a lot of a better situation than it was before. So you were six shots ahead of everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're still two shots yeah, ahead of everyone. It's, just, it's in line with these four, the four rules. They're all really logical and... You know, fair play to the RNA and the USGA. They, they've yeah. really got these right. There's a couple of very interesting ones that aren't really being highlighted, which yeah. I just, I'm going to highlight very quickly for people. There's now a situation where you can play for prize money, but it has to go to charity, unfortunately, Will. Okay. So you can play cash events, but if you win as an amateur, you don't get to pocket it. It has to go to a registered charity, which mm-hmm. is interesting because... Sorry, what? So as amateurs, you can't play for money. That's why yes. we have GUI vouchers. That's why you have, you know, your bags, your T-shirts, your things... You can now do a charity event where the prize is five grand if you win it, but that five grand has to go to a charity of your choice. As an um, amateur. As, yeah. as an amateur. If you uh, accept that five grand, you'd have to declare yourself professional. And, yeah. And yeah. In, in, <laughs> like, in relation yes, to it, and then the flip <laughs> where side. Where are these five grand tournaments? <laughs> uh, the flip side of that is if they are looking at changing, they have changed the reinstatement of the amateur status from pro backwards. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's well worth having a look if, if people are interested. Um, I, I, I think it's aimed more at a different level of golfers than us. Uh, I'm hacking around on a Saturday. Yeah, I don't but, think those uh, competitions really exist here in Ireland. Maybe they have a look. More so in the US. I, listen, let's get on to the one that's really good. It's the ball moving and address. The, and just to brief you, a one-stroke penalty under Rule 18-2 will be applied only when the facts show that the player has caused the ball to move. This has been kind of up in the air for a long time. They've just ar- they've, they've, they've ironed it out. You need to definitely be the cause of the ball moving for you to incur the penalty. Now, you know, that's, that, that is what it is, and it's great. It's, it's a move it, that it clarifies, yeah. it clarifies the doubt because it, there's no necessity for somebody to say, yes, we accept it was outside influences, it wasn't you. Let, let's move on. I'm, I'm done with the rules, to be honest. Let's move on to the story of this week is uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods at the moment. Uh, Tiger Woods has underwent a second uh, surgery in less than two months to relieve the discomfort in his back. Um, this, I suppose, is, is, is another huge setback for Tiger Woods. I read today on Golf.com there was a comment that pretty much, you know, this might be his way out. This might be his ability to to say, look, you know, I'm done. I'm going to retire from the game because of these injuries. It's been three, four years now, realistically, even longer, just one injury after the other. And somebody said on one of the, 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 the golf channel was saying, look, can anybody name a player that's had three major back surgeries and come back to play at any decent level? Is Tiger the guy who's going to buck that trend, or is this just another sad, long, slow goodbye from Tiger Woods from World Golf? I don't want to answer that question. Do you know? Well, no. The fact of the matter is that you know, there's one of these things. It's it's no more so than you know. Let's say, and we're going to I'm going to use the Irish example here, like Brian O'Driscoll or Paul O'Connell or in rugby. You know, things that you you want to go out on a good note, and it's it's. You know, when is the time to say goodbye? Now, I know that in golf, it's one of those games that you can, like, you, you're talking about the likes of Vijay Singh, you're talking about the likes of Tom Watson, all these guys who were playing up to the age of 50, 55 on the PGA Tour. Vijay Singh is still playing. But obviously, their health is obviously, you know, your health is your wealth, and they've been, you know, held onto their health very well. But <sighs> your back is your back, and it's the worst place in the world to get injured as a golfer. And I suppose it's the, the, the major part of the golf swing, if it's not working right, is where the back is, is going to be hit the most rather than, say, the pelvis. Barry, there was a comment that Woods made an appearance um, uh, last week and said he faced another long and tedious recovery process. The last one, and this is a quote, it took me a while to get back, he said last week, some players on tour have done the same procedure and to be back free, sorry, back pain free, it took over a year. If that's the case, Tiger's not returning 
at all in 2016. The Ryder Cup is not going to be on his schedule at this stage. Mm. Uh, <laughs> ah, look, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think the Ryder Cup was never going to be on his. his and look, Tiger's the exception to the rule and has been in this game for a long time. So, like, if anyone's going to buck the trend on like the year long thing, I'd put my money on him doing it. Uh, well, I'm going I'm to disagree with you there because the fact that if it was Tiger playing well, Tiger, and he went off to have an operation, you'd say, okay, a year is fine, come back. But Tiger was gradually going all the way down to number 256 in the world. Mm. He hasn't done anything over the last couple of years. Now, Tiger was, you know, arguably the best golfer to ever be seen. I'm not, to, you know, but once it's a case that injury starts, they are very difficult to stop. Yeah. I, know, I, I agree, because one, one kicks on. It's a knockoff. It's like dominoes. If they get it right, he'll come back and he'll play and he'll be competitive. If they haven't got it right, he'll have more surgery and that could be but, a slow and painful end. But to put this in perspective, the first back surgery was in March of 2014. The injuries before were Achilles, it was wrist, it was other injuries. Knee, yeah. it, knee, it wasn't the back. This is the third time now in a year and a half that he's had three major surgeries on his back, you know, you're saying, well, if they get it right, you'd have to start questioning why wasn't it right in March of 2014, two months ago, and now we've got a third one in the space of a year and a half. It's not like you're repairing scaffolding or something, or something like a Lego, you know, something solid like a building. The body is like a living, evolving organism. So, like, you know, things change. Like, the body adapts to a surgery. So... Something's going to change over a few months. But surely these months. injuries have to have to take an effect, particularly in such an important aspect of, of of the golfer's anatomy, which is the lower back. This isn't. If it was an Achilles, you'd say, "Look, this is really unfortunate," or it's you know, this is something that he's going to have to work on. He can get orthotics; it, it will work eventually. This is a major component. This is probably as bad an injury as you can probably get, other than. You know your shoulders. So do you, do you think? Do you think he's done? That's it. I think he's done. I think it's going to be very hard for him to come back because I'll tell you this: golf is moving on. I think that in the, when the Tiger Woods of '97, '98 came, he shifted a huge amount of the golf into the new era. It was about being in the gym. It was about being fit. It was about speed. It was you know there was club. It was a lot different to the more leisurely way of perhaps your Arnold Palmer's, your Nick Faldo's, your Bernhard Langer's. I think this generation of golfers that are currently doing it, I think he comes back. I think it would be a big story if he comes back for America. I don't think it touches. I think they've moved on. Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, Shane Larry. There's a list of really cracking young golfers. And I think they're moving the, 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 the dial again. And I think he's... He, he's a transition and I can't see him. I, I, I think he might be that player like Ernie Els. That you you might see him when he's fifty something, you know, playing well at the at, at a British Open or at an Open Championship, and going, "Geez, you know, it's great to see him playing well again." But I think it's sporadic, and you I think he never wins again. Well, I've always said I didn't think that he would win another major. That I think that these injuries and the but since since the incident, and we're going to talk about Steve Williams now, but since that split, since the professional break or the personal breakdown in his life. And going away from the game, I that that player has never returned. You know, we've never had. We've always wanted Tiger version two point We've had Tiger version one point eight. We've never had the new Tiger since he left for personal reasons. And when you look at somebody say like Dustin Johnson, will who left for inverted commas personal reasons, has come back, reinvented himself, and is probably as good, if not better, than he was previously. Tiger hasn't that, done that. But the one thing that Dustin Johnson has on his side is youth. Mm-hmm. And not injuries. And no injuries. injuries. But know. is it is it is it better for us to be able to put this period of Tiger, and this I suppose is ultimately... Sounds like you're knocking the last nail in this coffee. I'm in agreement with James is, here. I think that, that you know, he's now 41, 42 years of age. He, you know, as I say, a legend of the game. Would I would love to see him come back mm-hmm. and win a major. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see him come back, win two or three, and literally, you know, you know, as in call my whatever that is bluff or whatever, you know. But the fact was, I just don't think he has it in him. I think that even when he's on a good day, the likes of McElroy, Lowry, Speed, whatever, Jason Day, they're knocking the ball off the tee about fifty yards farther than Tiger ever did. Do you, I'm, I'm do you think his legacy judgment. is, you know, if he comes back and he trundles along in the tour, you know, 
maybe winning one or two PGA events, but not contesting any more of majors. Is that going to damage the... Well, he hasn't contested a majors since he came back at any significant level. No. So... We can't but assume he's going to come back. If he and start wins winning. one or two PGA Tour events, he's definitely going to contend in majors. I, I don't agree with that. Oh, he could come back to a Fries.com and win a Fries.com when there's a load of rubbish. The only yeah. thing that's I will say, that's not Tiger. That converts. That the converts. only thing I will say about Tiger, right, in his defence, is that, and uh, you know, before we move on to something else, is the fact that Tiger and Augusta will always have that link. It was even funny when he was coming back and he couldn't chip the ball to save his life. That next thing you know, he stood up in Augusta, and because he was so familiar with the course, he loved the course so much. He wasn't afraid of it. It wasn't new. This was mm-hmm. like this was like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. He was hitting chip shots. Now I know he didn't do very well or whatever, but whatever happened. But the fact of the matter is that that's the only one that I could see him potentially winning because everything else moves to different golf courses. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to suspend any call on him. Oh, you for wimp. Now. Uh, I, 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 I will, I will very put, source hang on, I will put, right I will put, I'm really offended. I'll put a bet out that he wins another professional golf tour. I think he's, I, I still I, think, do you notice I, he's I, never changing from major to, no, yeah, I, I said he would contend to the major, I didn't say he win a major. I okay, I'm going to throw this to you. I think that Tiger Woods has more chance of winning a major than Henrik Stenson. You're definitely <laughs> off the podcast now. <laughs> can, can, we, can we look at the second story of... Uh, what, this of, of New Zealander? So we have Steve <laughs> Williams, who I think everybody knows is, is possibly the greatest mouth as a caddy um, you know, in, in world golf. Steve Williams has brought out a new book called Out of the Rough. Um, it's interesting. They're they're saying that it's it's you can get it on digital download, but it probably will never make it into actual uh, actual paperback. And this is, I believe, and we haven't had an opportunity to read it, so we're only taking the excerpts that have been serialised in in New Zealand's papers. He was saying about how disrespectful Tiger Woods didn't have the bother to ring him at the time that he was going through the personal situation. People were lambasting Steve Williams as a part of this cohort of trying to hide his behaviour. He was very offended by that, that... uh, his his reputation as a stand up and honourable guy wasn't protected by Tiger Woods and the management. More importantly, he comes out with the comment that the throwing of golf club towards the bag, which I have to say, in the time that I watched Tiger Woods, I d- I think usually he kind of flicked it to rest at the top of the bag while Steve Williams was going to get a, 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 a divot back to put in the ground. I don't think it was like, it makes it out like he was walking down the fairway, turned around and fetched the club back in his head, yeah. you know, go fetch. Um, unfortunate use of the word slave, felt like a slave. It's probably not necessarily the most appropriate thing to say to, from a white person to the black man. Well, yeah. never, um, never mind the Never mind the race issue. Like, I mean, okay, there's a whole, like, he was getting paid. He was earning over a million a year when he was 1. on time. There we go. The like, time. I mean, so what? Steve Williams was the you, highest paid uh, sports star in New Zealand. But you've got to put up with a bit of crap when you're getting paid that money, you know? But everyone has to put up with a bit of he, crap in, in their work. Yeah, he earned exactly. A, he earned a, in excess of $8.8 million. Oh, this is just terrible. This is just so annoying to me. Like, I've been on for ages about how much it actually annoys me and grinds my gears. Like, this bitter man just trying to cash in a few more dollars on the back of this Tiger situation. He had no right to know about Tiger's personal life. He's his caddy. Shut the do, hell do, up. Do you, think, do you think that Tiger decided to have his back surgery to try and nullify this story? Because we're talking <laughs> more about his back surgery than I this. But this, this is the bit that I, I, I think about this. This story, he's in semi-retirement at the moment, Steve Williams. He is occasionally bagging for Adam Scott did last year for the majors and a couple of other tournaments. He, he claims that his wife is not wanting him to be out on tour anymore. We know how much, as I said, Barry, I think, makes a good point. I'd I take the shit for 8.8 million. I, I, I'd take a lot less. <laughs> take a lot more I'm than the one my head every time. I'll catch the damn thing. You know? But is this, is this something that if you were a Rory or an Adam Scott or, you know, Jordan Spieth or whoever that's looking for a caddy, and I don't mean those particularly, but at that high end, would Steve Williams have blotted his copybook at this point to being able to get back on the bag on a full-time basis with a major golfer with this kind of book coming out 
where they might be looking down the line going, geez, I better not say anything. You know, I better be really deferential to him because if I'm not, there could be a book in a year's time about my behaviour and I, I have to be careful of that. But do you not think that in any given scenario that, okay, let's just say, for example, that everything that is said in this book is correct. Well, that would mean that Tiger Woods was a bad boss. And a lot of the stuff could have been classed as uh, harassment in the workplace, which is, is illegal, you know, that kind of way. So the fact of the matter is that golfers shouldn't be thinking about what's going to come out of a book in a year and a half time. They should be thinking about being as professional as possible with their employees. But where does... Will Same way as if I was a boss, I would want to be as professional as possible with my employees. But where, Will, does the boss-golfer relationship start is it on the practice screen at 6 a.m and finishes when the scorecard is made like barry makes a fair point why does steve williams think that he has any right to be sent an email or a text or a phone call from tiger woods when his relationship and marriage is breaking down you know you you don't get a phone call from your boss to say well just to let you know uh, i know that you work nine to five with us but look i'm going through a bit of a problem with my marriage right now just just to let you know well, I think that as an employee who were, it, it, it's not like Steve Williams relied upon Tiger Woods as his income, right? So I think that in that situation, based on the fact that the, the Tiger's problems with his marriage related to him as a commodity and as, um, his, his earnings going down. So therefore, if something was going to affect his job, as a caddy, well, then he was entitled to know not necessarily what the issues were, but that there was going to be significant problems. So, for example, if my boss was to turn around to me uh, and, for example, that his the company was going to close over the next six months because of issues that were going on, I would think that I'm entitled to know as an employee, same way that I have to give a certain amount of notice if I'm going to be moving jobs. It's an interesting one, and I think this yeah. is a story that's going to rumble on. Hopefully not for too long, because I just think it's unsavoury. Uh, I agree. Let, let's talk about something a little lighter. And uh, Henrik Stenson this week has come out to say that he would be willing to become the next James Bond if Daniel Craig doesn't sign up. Um, it made me start thinking about you know, who else in the golfing world you'd have if you made a James Bond-type movie. Um, my suggestion was somebody like Paula Creamer for Bond Girl... And um, any any ideas in terms of you know who would play the likes of the villain or or uh... oh, well like my first reaction when you said this last night in the in the WhatsApp thread was Patrick Reed could be one of the bad guys and then and then you were like yeah well sure what about Butch Harmon who come in like as as the head honcho bad guy even though Butch is not a bad guy but like yeah so but gotta... B- Butch Harmon wonky eye you can yeah. call the film wonky eye. <laughs> And, then, and because he's so nice and lovable that oh, you know, actually it's that sinister psychological yeah, yeah. what's he going to do but yeah, he can do anything he loves everyone I, yeah, I at the end of the day he's probably built a Death Star in the background or something yeah, like and then that of course yeah. you have to have uh, Poulter and just call him the postman yeah I yeah. think he should be evil though yeah, I think he should just evil, have like yeah, those yeah. eyes should just come out kind of staring at the screen I thought Laura Davis for uh, for M could be you know, like, yeah, you know old Old style kind of, you know, M character. Yeah. And then Harrington for the gadgets, obviously, the tinkering and CBQ. Oh, yeah, 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 which would be per- yeah. he'd be perfect for it. Like, and he'd be kind of that kind of self effusive, you know, just, oh yeah, just here's a little thing for you, you know, a nice little gadget that'll just like kill 12 people at once or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or kill your golf game in yeah, 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 Exactly. Well, we, um, we could have somebody like um, Kevin Na who just doesn't quite get over the line. <laughs> which, you know, he could be semi-evil, but always just fall a little short. evil uh, which, yeah. which brings us on. nearly kills people. Nearly kills, but just always falls short, which I think yeah, we lo- should segue from that. Yeah, in. I'd love to do like a casting characters or a hypothetical golf Bond movie or a hypothetical golf movie and the stars, you know, who would star in the movie and as what character would be good fun. Well, I, I, I think I, people should... I think people should tweet, tweet us yeah. in or email us in if they've got any great ideas. Yeah, at, at Podcast GTS, who who would you play as, as Bond, the villains, the um, Money Penny, and uh, I think probably the interesting one would be always the Bond Girl. That would be one that would open a lot of debate. Um, let's look at the CIMB uh, classic for the moment, because that, I suppose, talking about Kevin Nah, this was a um, won by Justin Thomas, uh, 
by minus 26, fairly low scoring, 68, 61, 67, 66, ahead of Adam Scott on 25, Brandon Steele on 24, Kevin Nah joint third again, 24, um, and then uh, Matt Siama, Jason Han, Scott Piercy, Brian Harmon, um, Tony Fanu, who I for now, who who again is just looking like another one of these, you know, new rookies who are just he's he's really hitting the ground running. But let's let's talk about Justin Thomas. Um, first victory on the USPGA, um, forty three odd starts to get to this point, um, on the tour. I think the last two and a half three years, Barry. He was a rookie last year. Yeah, sorry, two years. This is his second year that uh, this wraparound system. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you can say, good, good covering. Yeah. In relation to this, look, Justin Thomas, how did he win this? You know, the sixty-eight, sixty-one, sixty-seven, sixty-six tells half the story. Certainly, yeah. the sixty-one. It's low scoring. He wins it by one shot. Is there anything that specifically stands out to to indicate that this is how he brought home the trophy? Uh, it helps when you beat the tournament record by three shots and shoot a course record sixty-one uh, on the way. Like I actually went and did a bit more digging into the stats this week um, for our tournament reviews. We need to get back to that and the reasons why people won. Unfortunately, when it goes out to this tournament, as it has been for the last few years, the stats are very limited. I just don't think the PGA Tour just don't get the the full complement of guys out there to track all the stats like they have in the States. They have that team. They have all the volunteers. They just don't have that out there. But the notable ones for him were um, he had 60% fairies and regulation and obviously bombs in a mile because that's just what he does. Uh, he had 76% greens in regulation, 59% scrambling, and to shoot 26 under, you put the lights out. So uh, you throw all that together and you're going to win. Although, at the end of the day, it came down to him having a having to make a six-foot par put on the final green to win. Um, I think the biggest thing for having watched a little bit of this, like, you know, the last day was the fact that he... Uh, well, first of all, Kevin Nat was literally missed a six foot birdie put on sixteen, missed a, like a four foot birdie put on seventeen. You know, so he was there thereabouts, lipping out twice in the last three holes. Uh, but Justin Thomas double bogeyed four fourteen fourteen right. Easiest shot. Well, sorry for those guys. Like you're not even supposed to see water. You know that kind of way. But mm-hmm. he said he threw it into the water, underclubbed, clunked it, hit it heavy, whatever he did. Double bogeyed, all of a sudden you're thinking, no, not again, Justin Thomas. Bounced right back, birdied 15, birdied 16, birdied 17, and uh, obviously parred 18. Yeah. Um, but to me, that was just outstanding. That's, Double bogey and then birdie, birdie, birdie. Yeah. That's what won it. I think bounce back ability is one of the most crucial stats on the PGA Tour. Like When you make a mistake, how quickly do you, do you bounce back immediately with a birdie? Or is that sort of round over? Yeah, or does it affect you and have a knock-on effect for the next few holes, which can... You can end up, you know, falling too far behind in a tournament. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but to to bounce back with three birdies on the spin like that is just that's some serious mental toughness there. In, in the you know when he's trying to get a win, he's like shit, I've let it go, and then he's like, nope, I'm actually gonna, you know, have a chance here. I can make birdies in the next few holes, and I can still win this tournament. Is there and a flip side to that though? You've you've made the mistake. Mm-hmm. You've gone double bogey, pressure. and then the pressure is slightly relaxed. You know, it was a soft course. There was a lot of peppering of pins, and I think that's probably what led to mm. a lot of very low numbers this week. Um, but it does release the pressure a bit to allow him to go. Well, you know what? Go, you know, because we talk a lot about second is nowhere for these guys. They don't want top tens. They want victories. They want the win. For him, maybe the pressure was off at that stage, and 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 it gave him the opportunity to be a bit more relaxed on the on the final four holes. It kind of just removes that fear of making the mistake because you're like, oh god, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake. Boom, you made a mistake. You're like, oh, now I'm not afraid of making a mistake anymore because I, I've had the mistake and I'm still kind of in this and I have a chance. So now, okay, yeah, like I said, you, you like you were saying, you, he can go after it then, and like surely, like this massive motivation from like two rookies winning the last two weeks. You know, he's gone, oh, you know, I need to get on board this train of winning. You know, these guys can do it, so can I. Like, I got so close many times last year, and off you went, and has done it. And deserves a victory for you know, all the talent he's shown last year in the exciting play. So, mm. absolutely looking, fantastic performance. Looking at Adam Scott, and Barry makes the point, Will, that Justin Thomas can't get to minus 26 without putting well. We talked earlier about the anchoring. 
Adam Scott was a player that we had big question marks over whether or not he was going to transition sufficiently into the new season and into into the non-anchoring putter. If Justin Thomas at twenty six minus twenty six had to put on a good putting display, it's probably fair to say that Adam Scott's not doing too badly with the short stick at this point. Well, I think personally, because I haven't seen Adam Scott playing in many competitions since the President's uh, President's Cup, and I think that something happened, something clicked. For Adam Scott, he even said it himself that the night before the final day of the singles in the President's Cup, he whatever he did, he tinkered around with something and he got something in his stroke. And he went out and put on an absolute putting display against Ricky Fowler. Hammered him. Poor yeah, Ricky Fowler. Was a lot of I think we spoke about this around the time. 30, Ricky 40 footers oh, in the middle of the hole. Poor Ricky Fowler. He just gets <laughs> yeah. demolishing these singles events. Uh, but Adam Scott has transferred that to this competition. Now, yeah. granted, he did have a, a 900 par final round. Yeah, 63. Uh, which, you know, obviously shot him up the leaderboard a little bit. Also kind of went a little bit of pressure off. He wasn't expecting to win. You know, there's always that last day kind of thing, depending on where you are. Post a big score. A couple of things went his way. But I must say, his putting stroke was beautiful. And that's a great thing for him to be getting back up to the, you know, the top of the world rankings now. We we talked about Kevin Hatt just a minute ago, joking, like, is he the Jim Furyk nearly of 2015, 2016, where it just seems that the finishing line is so ever close and yet never quite close yeah. enough? Is this a guy who, if he fell over the line, you know, last week or this week, you could see two or three more? Or at this point, with three weeks now of falling short, what point do you start scratching your head and going, "Oh, this isn't, this isn't yeah. funny. I'm, I'm playing some great golf." And I ain't getting over the line. And when you're playing good golf, you want to start putting the victories on the board. I Sorry, Barry, I'll just say one thing there. I just think that if it was a case that it was Kevin uh, week in, week out, and he was getting beaten by Jordan Spieth week in, week out, I'd be getting a little bit concerned and going, what, what, what have I got to do? But you can't ever, like, Jack, you know, I keep on going back to what Jack Nicholas always said. I never worry about what everyone else is doing. I worry about what I'm doing and trying to do the best now. Kevin Nas not Jack Nicklaus, right? Yeah. And I know he's he also not winning, which is no, I know. A significant <laughs> problem. But I mean that, like, within the weeks, it's been someone different each week. So it was Grio. It was then um, who was. But the is next it not person? easier, Will? And, and, and actually, I'm going to ask this to Barry because I think this is an interesting. One. But is not would it not be better to be losing to Jordan Spieth? You know, would it not be would it not be more psychologically easier to be coming second to Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, or Jordan Spieth than coming second to? A rookie player, you know, a semi-rookie player, a rookie player, a rookie player. You know, I would have, be, you know, he's a lot around a while, Kevin Nadd, at this stage. I think it would have been easier to, to, to be losing to the top of the world ranking guys. I don't know. I don't, I, it's not palatable to lose to anybody. Maybe it might sting a tiny bit less when you lose to one of the top players. But look, all you got to do is, all you can do is just keep putting himself in these positions to try to win and just hope it. Yeah. It happens when we... But he's I, been there, thereabouts, every Sunday. And it's great It's great to see, you know, somebody with that consistent run of form, and you hope it converts into a win. It doesn't always. Like, life is not, you know, that nice. Well, let's let's talk it's, about where life is nice. Yeah. Because I, I think we need to talk about Victor de Brisson, and uh, he was playing at the Turkish Airlines Open and is now currently the Turkish Airlines Open winner. Um, he birdied three of his final four holes to claim a second Turkish Airlines Open title in the final series got off to a fairly dramatic start in, in Turkey. It was right down to the, the, the final hole. It is that par five, which is very much a risk and reward hole. Um, he cried afterwards. There was a lot of emotion, a lot of clear doubt in his head as to where his golf game was going. Is it nice to see Victor de Brisson back at a level that we all to a certain as I certainly would like to see him competing at the very highest level because he just comes across as a guy that seems fairly genuine. Were you happy to see Victor de Brisson win this week, Will? Well, yes and no. Uh, I would have loved to have seen Jaco Van Zal winning because of the fact that he was wire to wire. He had played so well. You thought he was going to drop off at so many different times over the three or four days. And next thing, he just kept on coming back. He, you know, he was leader... Mer- Ridiculous leader after round one, still leader after round two, round, even round four. Like he, he, he dropped off, but then he came back. 
and you're kind of going, okay, come on, Jacko, come on, <laughs> you know, because you, you've gone past the wire to wire, and now he has to, you really see the spirit that went in him. But saying that, like, Victor de Buisson was, the drive he hit on 18 was the most ridiculous drive I've ever seen in my life. It went about 370 yards. Um, he found the little gap, you know, the, the perfect line that you can mm-hmm. ever, which runs the whole way around the, the 18, avoiding all the bunkers, outdrives the, the fairway and into the path where the players walk to the green um, and left himself only, supposedly they said, only a seven iron into the green for a second shot on a par five. You know, he was the only player to, that I saw all day that was able to get up down onto the bottom level. To do that, when he was obviously so emotional and built up, like, you know, how these guys do it mm. to keep themselves out of that emotion. Um, but at the same time, I'm very happy for Victor Dubuisson. The only thing I'd be concerned about for him is the fact that he only had one win on the European Tour prior to this, and it was in the Turkish Airlines Open. And now he's got two wins, and they're in the Turkish Airlines Open. Now, he did win... Did he win the match play? No, no he didn't. No, he came he short. Yeah, but, yeah. my God, did he give a show that, did, that, that week. I, I didn't find, though, I have to say, I did look to find out what the personal circumstances were, so I don't know what led to such an emotional um, view, because he's won before, wasn't a first victory. And um, You looked at the stats, though, Barry, in terms of Victor Dubuisson, and I suppose... It raised a few interesting comments about uh, some of the stats that that really led him to the victory. Uh, another week where putting just killed it. I mean, to make you know, you make thirty-one birdies and one eagle in a week. You're, you're probably going to win the tournament or be very very close. He he only dropped shots on six holes all week, so that's good too. You know, keep bir- you got to keep bogeys off the card when it is a birdie fest. Um, I mean, he hasn't, he didn't do anything absolutely remarkable to be honest. 59% fairways and regulation, 291 yards average drive, 69% greens and regulation, that's probably a little bit above average, which is mm-hmm. good. 26.25 puts per round. There's, there's your stat there that wins in the tournament, yeah. you know. That, that just does it. Um, and his scrambling was good when he did miss the green for the most part, 72% scrambling, so. Um, all adds up to a win for V-Dub and, uh, putting his name in the hat for Ryder Cup. Yeah, the one thing I will say about the one shot that stood out, and I don't know if anyone else was watching this, but at one stage, it was on the final round, and uh, what are we calling him now? Vic Dub, is it? V-Dub. V-Dub, V-Dub, yeah. excuse me. But he was literally pulled his drive so far left, it was unbelievable. He was in under trees. How, like, how he even saw a shot in the first place? But he literally hit this shot under the trees the whole lot. The, you know, even Radar was kind of turning around saying, if he gets this within 25 foot, it is a miracle, right? Next thing, he hits the ball, runs up this little slope, rolls down the little slope, four foot, gets the putt. You know, the kind of way, these Genius, are, yeah. like that, and that's, that's for me what wins the competition. Yeah. You know, whatever about, it's not too dissimilar, I suppose, to why Shane Lowry did in the WBC, similar, yeah. you know, it's 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 a remarkable shot at the right time. At the right time, that really builds confidence, puts the spring in the step. Alfie Barnhart Rat, another good week for him, and <laughs> um, you know, he's he's very much a player who is really building a, a name for himself and a fairly good Serious. reputation. The form of his life at the moment, you just yeah get that get the win. He's off this week. Actually, yeah, we may as well move on to next week with the previews. Quick word to Say Young Kim, who won the Blue Bay LPGA in China last week on the LPGA Tour. Um, tough week for them, actually. Uh, only four players beat par. So that's my kind of tournament, you know, watching par as a target for the week rather than the uh, the birdie fests, which we're you know accustomed to quite, you know, week in, week out for the most part. So nice to see a tough tournament. Every we we had, of course. At this stage with the WGC, um, and I suppose we should just announce uh, that the HSBC have announced a renewal of their the WGC uh, sponsorship, which is huge for the game, um, and they, they're going to continue that. But looking this week, we do have the WGC in China, and uh, I suppose this is a, a really big event again, um, top 50 in the world. You've had a look, Barry, at the, the, the way the course, it's it's taking place at the um, Shenzhen International Golf Club in Shanghai in China. You've had a look at what type of golf course this is and mm-hmm. maybe kind of points towards what kind of player might be actually uh, contending this week. Yeah, I t- so the greens aren't going to be particularly fast or so, 11.6 on the stint meter, you know, reasonably average for, um, if not tiny, but slow for pros, so... Uh, 
I think the key thing this week is the, the fairways are average width. You know, the rough is at... 32 millimeters, then 64 millimeters, and then 90 millimeters. So it gets really penal. The first, you know, if you go beyond sort of 10 foot, 12 foot from the fairway, you're really in the thick, juicy stuff. Um, it's a tree lined course as well. So you put that into the mix along with that heavy rough. I think you're looking at total driving this week being a big factor. Uh, fairways and regulation, you know, combined with a little, some decent distance, you're going to give yourself opportunities to hit shots from the short stuff into the greens and give yourself chances to make birdie. And looking at the weather at the moment, a lot of rain, it's going to be soft again, yeah. similar to last week out there. And that so, rough's going to be juicy as well because of that rain, so, so you we're looking, really want the fairways. And we're, so we're definitely looking at guys who have a lot of great fairways and regulation that don't spray it. So, you know, looking at the betting at the moment, we have uh, Rory McIlroy 11-2, to two, Jordan Spieth 15-2, to two, Bubba Watson 16-1, to one, Dustin Johnson 16-1, to one, Henrik Stenson 20-1, to one, Adam Scott 20-1. to one, Ricky Fowler twenty to one, Matsuyama twenty two, Shane Lowry twenty five, Kevin Na twenty five, Justin Thomas thirty, Paul Casey thirty, Martin Keimer thirty three, and Patrick Reed, and we kind of go out from there. Interesting, Ian Pulver made it after getting in last week through mm. a very kind invite. He's now got back in the top fifties, back in this tournament, and mm. um, so probably didn't need last week in the end, but obviously couldn't have got in without it. Yeah, um, nobody understands him top, right uh, now, so maybe we don't. Know. Somewhere in the region of top uh, top sixteen last week, but out of that, look, you know, when you're looking at driving accuracy, who in that say top fifteen or twenty that I've read out, who is it that stands out to you as the player that that really has the game that might. Uh, and, and form as well that that might bring home a WGC. Do you know what? This could be the week for Adam Scott. So twenty to one. That him, and then outside of the top fifteen or so, I'd probably look at a couple. Of, I'm going to look at a couple of long shots as well. Maybe Thorbjorn Olsen. You know, he's playing some good golf. You know, I'm not, I'm not fully invested into my uh, research yet. Uh, I wouldn't. Don't put it past Lafie Barnard to keep going on a good bit of form at the moment. He hasn't the best uh, course form here, but Decent he's, he's playing great 50, golf. The only thing I'll say about Lafie Barnard is the fact that his driving at the moment is very, very much ragged, yeah. um, and he's spraying it all over the place. So you're bringing it into a situation where you're going into that rough, tree-lined, I don't think it's his course. Yeah, it, it, and that's why like, he doesn't have good form there. Yeah, so because yeah. Caddy can he keep his head on and say, "Here, dude, take a three wood three this wood, time." Yeah, you know, yeah. let's, what let's, about let's not... was Jay Orr there? Was he? Justin Rose. Justin Rose. That's very good. Uh, no, he's not. No, I think this is why the likes of uh, taking a week off. Yeah, because Justin Rose is taking a week off. Jason Day is taking a week off. That's probably why uh, thing he's got into it because you're talking the top fifty in the world. You know, uh, what's mm. his name? Poulter, the postman. Um, I personally think that having watched the European Tour. Um, and I know people don't ever listen to me when I talk about this, but McElroy's driving was insane. <laughs> if, Mac, if McElroy can, you know, he started yeah. getting a bit of form, but he is driving the ball as well as anyone has ever driven the ball. If can he, I just put one side to that? He's not. He tweeted today saying he's not feeling particularly well at the moment. He doesn't. He's, I think, coming down with the flu or coming down with the. Did so he have so, too many sweets at Halloween? Possibly. So. There is a there is a question mark over is he a hundred percent not in terms of fitness but in terms He'll of play, the field. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. definitely playing. Yeah, yeah. But you, you know, if you're doing a, a Sonia Sullivan and looking for the toilet on every hole, it's not necessarily you yeah. know the most pleasant four or five. Where are the sick or injured golfer? Um, yeah. True, true. Very might true. might not have a huge amount. Uh, looking, I suppose then over in the US, there is the uh, Sanderson's Fan, uh, Farms Championship in Jackson. Mississippi, it's a uh, 7,354 7, yard par 72. And um, this is interesting, Barry, because it's, it's, it's a fairly sizable complex. It's, it's not just a, an 18 hole com, uh, complex. It's, it's 27 and they're using, using two of the, the nine yeah. holes. And you, you, you kind of guess the, the guys like Augusta a little bit because the two nines they're using this week are called Dogwood and Azalea. So, uh, ah. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, look, we'll get we'll get a bit more into the review of this next week because we're running a bit short in time. But just quickly, at the top of the betting: Jason Bone is ten to one, Patrick Rogers twelve to one, Patton Kazire twenty to one, as is William McGirt, Will Wilcox twenty five to one, Kevin Streelman twenty eight to one, Delette Coughlin, Todd Glover are thirty three to one, and the rest of the field are thirty five to one and eight. The rest could it be another week for a rookie or a first time winner on tour? 
quite possibly with, with all the big boys out in China at the WGC. It should yeah. be noted some places, including Paddy Power, playing seven places, so it might be worth having a look down the line of some of the the, the, the longer odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try nice. And, grab you a know, few, grab a few spots. And the ladies are off to Japan this week for the Toto Japan Classic, and I'm going to head on the way home listening to Africa by Toto. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't. Well, it was not a cue for you to sing. <laughs> but yeah. So who's top of the league? Stacey Lewis is um, favourite to that eleven to two. Lexi Thomas eleven to one. And the rest of the field there. We'll review that next. Oh my God! Hang on a second. Lexi Thompson is the Bond girl. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that's all Will has been thinking about for the last while. Yeah. Uh, if anybody disagrees or agrees with Will at Podcast GTS, our email is a good talk spoiled. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Barry. Enjoy the golf if you're playing it or watching it. Enjoy whatever golf you're playing as the listeners. We look forward to talking to you all next week. Bye, Barry. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.